welcome to Faith in the Morning. Something good is going to happen to you today. I'm at the Castillo de San Marcos. And in life, you must learn how to take and hold the high ground. Enjoy this message and build your faith. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. If you didn't put it in the chat already, go ahead and put it in there. Take and hold the high ground. Take and hold the high ground. We started talking about this last week on Wednesday in detail, and we'll do a slight review tonight before we get into some new territory. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, start with verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God. The word mighty means having power to do something. To the pulling down or the demolition, the tearing down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So every weapon we have from God is mighty. Every weapon we have from God has power to do something, has power to pull down and cast down or demolish strongholds. Now strongholds, as we covered, is defined as a castle, a fortress. That word also means anything on which one relies. A castle, a fortress, it's anything on which one relies. We covered how there was an advisor to a Roman emperor in the first century AD that would use this word here in the Greek for stronghold to describe an argument someone could not overcome. Seneca, the advisor, would, call, would use this word to describe an argument. In verse 5, when it says casting out imaginations, this word imagination means reasoning or thought. Casting out imagination in every high thing. The word high thing means an elevated place or an elevated structure. So a stronghold in your mind can be a mentality, a philosophy, or even an identity. A stronghold in your mind can be a mentality, a philosophy, or even an identity. It may be an argument for a set course of actions. It is a mental process or philosophy on which the person relies, depends on, trusts in, and has confidence in. Knowing this, we can say there are godly strongholds and ungodly strongholds. We can say there are godly strongholds and ungodly strongholds. And I shared this quote I heard from Mac Hammond. He said, your success in this life will depend on the strongholds you build for yourself and occupy. Your success in this life will depend on the strongholds you build for yourself and occupy. And remember, we said a stronghold in your mind can be a mentality, a philosophy, or even an identity. So an identity can be a stronghold. So how do you identify yourself? Because the way you identify yourself, what you cling to concerning your identity can either be a godly stronghold or an ungodly stronghold. Go with me to Numbers 13, where we left off last week. Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13. Is your identity a godly stronghold or an ungodly stronghold? Numbers chapter 13. We're still talking about taking and holding the high ground. And we say, if you want to take and hold the high ground, you must take and hold the high ground of your mind. 
which includes tearing down ungodly strongholds and building up godly strongholds and occupying those godly strongholds. Numbers chapter 13, we'll look at verse 26. And they went and came to Moses and to Aaron, the spies, and to all the congregation of the children of Israel, to the wilderness of Paran, and to Kadesh, and brought back word unto them and to all the congregation, and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, We came into the land where you sent us, and surely it flows with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. Here you see an identity. Caleb has an identity. He says, We are well able to overcome it. That's his identity. Able. Able to do what? Able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, we're not able to go up against the people. So here's another identity. We're not able. For they are stronger than we, and they brought up an evil report of the land, which they had searched into the children of Israel, saying, the land through which we've gone to search it is a land that eats up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw are it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight, identity, as grasshoppers. And so were we in their sight. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 19. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 19, and then we'll begin to break this down a little bit. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 19. One of the things you see from Hebrews chapter 3 and chapter 4, it's talking about the same incident we read in Numbers chapter 13, and that continues into Numbers chapter 14. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 19. So we see they could not enter in because of unbelief. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left of us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. Who's the them? The one we just talked about in Numbers 13 and in chapter 14. But the word preached did not profit them, those in Numbers 13 and 14, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. So those Israelites in Numbers 13 and 14 heard the word. But the word they heard, that powerful word from God preached by Moses, did not have any effect on them, did not profit them, because they did not mix it with faith. There were many expressions of unbelief displayed in Numbers 13. One of the expressions of unbelief was their identity or how they saw themselves. One of the uh, expressions of unbelief in Numbers 13 and 14 was their identity or how they saw themselves. Because if they really believed the word of God or what God said about them, they would have responded like Caleb and Joshua saying, we are able to do this. But because they did not believe, their unbelief was expressed in their identity or how they saw themselves. As we said, a stronghold in your mind can be a mentality, a philosophy, or even an identity. It may be an argument for a set course of actions. It is a mental process or philosophy on which the person relies, depends on, trusts in, or has confidence in. The ten spies saw themselves as grasshoppers. 
They still have the mentality that Egypt placed within them. Do you have a mentality or identity in your life that has been given to you by others who try to hold you down? The Israelites had an identity impressed in them as they were slaves in Egypt. They had been in Egypt for 400 years. And some of them have let go on the inside of them an identity that they were less than nothing, that they were grasshoppers. And so even though the word of God came to them and told them what God had for them and told them what God would do for them and told them the plan of God and told them the promises of God, instead of clinging to the word of God, those words of faith, the word of hope, instead of doing that, they held on to the identity given to them by their situation and circumstance in Egypt. They still held on to the mentality, the identity, and the strongholds that Egypt placed within them. When we come to Christ and believe his word, we must make sure that our identity aligns with his word. You know, it tells us in the scriptures that one of the things we can learn from the Israelites and the people in the Old Testament, there are examples and examples. We can learn what to do and what not to do. And here we can learn a lesson about identity. When we come to Christ and believe his word, we must make sure that our identity aligns with his word. I'll say it one more time. When we come to Christ and believe his word, we must make sure that our identity aligns with his word. Our identity can either be a godly stronghold or an ungodly stronghold. Our identity can either be a godly stronghold or an ungodly stronghold. So let's define identity. Here's the definition of identity I found. The fact of being who or what a person or thing is. Identity is simply defined as the fact of being who or what a person or thing is. When we come to Christ and believe his word, we have to determine according to the scriptures, not popular culture, according to the scriptures, what identities remain and what identities are to be done away with. When we come to Christ and believe his word, we have to determine according to the scriptures what identities remain and what identities are to be done away with. This is a decision every believer has to make. One of the things we understand is people identify themselves many different ways, including but not limited to, this is not an exhaustive list. People identify themselves in many different ways, including but not limited to race, culture, national origin, nationality, gender, education, economic status, and so on. So there's many different ways people identify themselves or forms an identity within them or forms a stronghold or mentality in their mind. So let's discuss race. Race as an identity. Race as a mentality, race as either a godly or ungodly stronghold. So go ahead and put it in the chat. Say, let's talk about it. Go ahead, put it in the chat. Say, let's talk about it. Is race an identification that has to be done away with in Christ? Let's ask this question Is race an identification that has to be done away with in Christ? I'm going to drink a little bit more of my tea. But you guys put it in the chat. Say, let's talk about it. Is race an identification that has to be done away with in Christ? Before we answer that question, let's answer this. First, what is race? First, what is race? So let's define a number of terms. 
race is defined as a group of people descended from a common ancestor. Race is defined as a group of people descended from a common ancestor. Now, let me give you the etymology of the word race. It came from the 1560s. Its etymology has roots possibly from the Italian word raza, which denotes a group with common features. From the Italian word raza, which denotes a group with common features. One etymologist suggests the word derives from Arabic raz, which means head, beginning, or origin. It's comparable to the Hebrew word rosh, which has similar meanings. Let me read this to you one more time. It's from the 1560s. The etymology of the word race has roots possibly from the Italian raza, which denotes a group with common features. One etymologist suggests the word derives from Arabic ras, which means head, beginning, or origin. It's comparable to the Hebrew word rosh, which has similar meanings. And the word race is defined as a group of people descended from a common ancestor. Let me give you some other definitions we'll get to later in this message. Culture. What is culture? Culture is the customs, arts, social institutions, and achievements of a particular nation, people, or other social group. Culture is the customs, arts, social institutions, and achievements of a particular nation, people, or other social group. What is a cultural identity? A cultural identity is the identity of belonging to a group. It is part of a person's self-conception and self-perception and is related to nationality, ethnicity, religion, social class, generation, locality, or any kind of social group that has its own distinct culture. I'll say that one more time. It is a part of a person's self-conception and self-perception and is related to nationality, ethnicity, religion, social class, generation, locality, or any kind of social group that has its own distinct culture. So we define what is race. It is a group of people descended from a common ancestor. Looking at etymology, at an even more basic definition, it's a group with common features. Where the word comes from, we even looking at Arabic or the comparable Hebrew, it's talking, it's pointing back to the ancestor or the person who originated, who originated or began that group of people. So a group of people descended from a common ancestor. Go with me to Genesis 10 verse 32. Remember we said according to the scriptures we have to determine whether an identity that we have in our minds and in our life is something we allow to stay or something we have to dismiss. And we can only do that by searching the scriptures because we're, we're Christians, right? That's what we say, we're believers. Which means we live by this book. What does this book have to say about it? Genesis 10. Verse 32. You know, some scholars call Genesis 10 the table of nations. Some scholars call Genesis 10 the table of nations. Look what it says, Genesis 10, verse 32. These are the families of the sons of Noah, after their generations and their nations, and by these were the nations divided in the earth after the flood. But notice what Genesis 32 calls them. These are the families. The families. Then when he studied out Genesis 10, there are 70 different families, all descended from 
Noah's three sons. Seventy different families from Noah's three sons. I won't get in tonight, but we covered how, you know, there was a false teaching. We covered it at length last summer in our series, Faith Under Fire. If you go to the Faith Plus app or on YouTube, you'll see the series. And we talked about how in this nation and in others was preached the erroneous doctrine of the curse of Ham. That when you study it out, there's reasons why they preached it to enforce the Confederacy and slavery and a whole bunch of other things. And we talked about how ungodly that was and sinful. And we dealt with that at length, and I'm not getting into that at length tonight, but I encourage you to go look at the Faith Plus app. We talked about how the curse of Ham, God didn't curse Ham. When you read chapter 10, God did not curse Ham. When you look at it, the only person who was cursed was Canaan, and God didn't pronounce the curse, Noah did. So when you look at that chapter, God did not curse anybody. So to imply that one race is less than the other because God cursed that race is unscriptural and it has no root in the Bible. Remember, a race is a group of people descended from a common ancestor, and God did not curse those who came from Ham. God did not curse those who came from Shem, and God did not curse those who came from Japheth. God did not curse Noah and his three sons. Quite the contrary, Genesis 9-1, when they left the ark, God blessed Noah. God blessed Shem. God blessed Japheth. God blessed Ham. He did not curse them. He blessed them. And now we see in Genesis 10:32, these are the families of the sons of Noah. Now, when you get in chapter 11, we know the Tower of Babel, the story of Babel, what happened, the Tower of Babel, all the things, and when the languages were changed and people began to fill the earth according to the commandment of God. Go to Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, and now we're going to see the next time this word family is used. Now the Lord has said unto Abram, Get thee out of your country, and from your kindred, and from your father's house, unto a land I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in you shall all families of the earth be blessed. So notice something we see here. That Genesis 9, when Noah and his sons got off the boat, God blessed Noah and his three sons, which means every group of people that would descend from them, what did God want to happen? Blessing. And then we see reiterated in Genesis 12, 3, in you shall all families, what families are you talking about? Those 70 families in Genesis 10. All families of the earth be blessed. So all those different groups of people those families would produce. It is the will of God for them all to know the blessing of God. That's what God wants. That's what God wanted to happen. It doesn't matter their ancestor. God wants to bless them. Go to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. We're still talking about taking and holding the high ground. We're building the high ground of our minds. And we ask the question, since strongholds, godly or ungodly, can be identities, is race an identification that has to be done away with in Christ? Go with me to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Verse 27, for as many of you has been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, 
There's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, what does that mean? Because some people say, well, see, there's no, you know, in Christ there's no race because it's all, that's what the Scripture says. That's not what the Scripture says. Now, in context, you know, we're reading through Galatians this week in our Faith Plus Bible reading plan. So I encourage you to follow along with us as we read through the Bible and read through different books and different chapters. And this week we're going through Galatians. And so when you study out the reason why Paul wrote to the Galatians, which is a part of modern-day Turkey, specifically the middle parts of ancient Turkey, and he's writing to them because after he left, these other groups of people came in and began to preach to the churches of Galatia something that was different than Paul preached, began to teach them that they had to keep the law. And so when you go through Genesis 1 and Genesis chapter 2, you see Paul recounting his testimony, how God taught him, and then how he went up to Jerusalem, and then all the elders in Jerusalem agreed with him, and, what, and he goes, begins to break it down in chapter 3, going to chapter 4, sharing why that you do not have to keep the law to be saved. We're saved by grace through faith. Talking about justification by faith. So what he's talking about here is not talking about race. When he's talking about Jew here, he's not talking about race. So when you see the word Jew in Greek, when he's talking about Greeks, he's not talking about Grecian or people who come from Greece. This word here is also used to mean Gentile. The word Greek here also means the word Gentile, which was used to refer to other nations or nations who do not have covenant or do not have God's law revealed to them as the Jews did. And so what happens? He's talking about here access to God. He's talking about access to God and to his blessings and to his righteousness, the righteousness that only comes by faith in Jesus Christ. He's talking about the access to God. He's talking about righteousness and the blessing. He's not talking about race. He's talking about access to God. So when it comes to access to God, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or Gentile. It doesn't matter if you're bond or free. It doesn't matter if you're male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You all have the same access to God. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So it doesn't matter your ancestor, you still get blessed like faithful Abraham. That's what we see in Genesis 13 and 14. Christ has redeemed, chapter 3, verse 13 and 14 of Galatians 3. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangs on the tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So what he's talking about here is not talking about race. Because if we began to think about it that way, if we said, you know, there's no race in Jesus, then we'll say there's no males or females in Jesus. And we know that's not true. So when we think through it and look at context, he's talking about access. There's no different class status. That some people have better access to God. That men have better access or women have better access or Jews have better access or Gentiles have better access. Bond has better access. Free has no we all have the same access. We're all one in Christ Jesus and have the same access to God. So he's not talking about racial identities being done away with here. He's not talking about that. Well, didn't Paul say we don't know people after the flesh? You're quoting 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and chapter 4. So when you look at chapter 5 and chapter 4 in context, knowing people after the flesh is referring to having a human viewpoint. It's referring to having a human viewpoint versus the viewpoint of the Spirit. 
having the human viewpoint versus being new creatures in Christ Jesus. Having the human viewpoint instead of seeing ourselves as a righteous God in Christ Jesus. Having a human viewpoint instead of heaven's viewpoint. It's not talking about racial identity being wiped away. You see, some people, well, some well-meaning, not everybody well-meaning, but some well-meaning will say things like this that, you know, I don't see color. Well, that's kind of hard not to see color, but I get their intent. You know, some people started it a few decades ago with an attempt to create a more just and more equitable nation and living experience for everybody here. It was well-meaning, and they tried, but it's not God's best. That God doesn't mind you seeing color. What do you mean? God made the colors. Do you think about that? Diversity was God's idea? The different colors people are is God's idea? You see, we are spirits. We have souls, which are mind, will, emotions, and we live in our physical body. And all of our physical bodies are painted in different colors. And that is one of the common features that we can talk about when we look at the definition of race and we look at the etymology. Common features. And so people usually cite on color and different other physical attributes. And where do those physical attributes and colors come from? God. It was his idea. So that means every shade, every color is beautiful to God. From the lightest to the darkest, it's beautiful to God. It's his idea. So when you come to Christ and believe his word, your color does not disappear. The blood of Jesus washed away your sin. It did not wash your skin. Why? God thinks your skin color is beautiful. It's part of your identity. It's not the major part of your identity. It's part of it. And God thinks it's beautiful. I'm going to say it again. God thinks whatever color you are is beautiful. You know, maybe we should actually believe that song we teach in kids' world and we've sing to children, red and yellow, black and white, they're all precious in his sight. It really is. Those colors, it's beautiful to him. It's precious. So if it's precious and beautiful to him, why would that disappear when we come to Christ and believe his word? It wouldn't. And you would think that if it would, didn't disappear on earth, well, when we get to heaven, it's going to disappear. Eh, are you sure about that? Go to Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. And they, those in heaven, sung a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For you were slain, has redeemed us to God by your blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. One of the things you see here in the book of Revelation and throughout an emphasis of every nation, tribe, and tongue. We even used to sing a song here, every nation, power, and trunk will bow down to your name. One, one of the beautiful, there's many beautiful things in heaven. One of the beautiful things in heaven is you see around the throne the representation of all the different colors and cultures and tribes and nations of the earth all washed in the blood of the Lamb, all worshiping the Heavenly Father. And so the book of Revelation makes the point to show the wonderful diversity 
of heaven. Diversity was God's idea. Race and color is not an issue to God. He loves every color and every shade. The color of your skin was God's idea, and he doesn't make you do away with that once you are in Christ and believe his word. So part of your identity, how you identify yourself, part of it, not all of it, but part of it is connected to your race. Now we know when you think about it really, this one race is the human race, but when we think about race as being defined as descending from a common ancestor, we all came from Adam. We all came from Noah. After that, there's three other guys we may have came from. And then 70 families from that. And after that, we all came from those, but it's been thousands of years. Everybody's mixed and mingled in between. So what does this mean? Should you make life decisions based off of the color of your skin? No. But should you enjoy the color of your skin? Yes. Let me give you a few more definitions before we go further. Culture, the customs, arts, social institutions, and achievements of a particular nation, people, or other social group. Cultural identity is the identity of belonging to a group. It is a part of a person's self-conception and self-perception and is related to nationality, ethnicity, religion, social class, generation, locality, or any kind of social group that has its own distinct culture. Cultural identity, culture, and race are important. It's part of your identity. They're not bad things. That's part of your identity. Is it the most important thing about you? No. What's the most important thing about you? You're in Christ. That is number one. And everything else bows to you being in Christ. You come into Christ and belief is worth. Now, I want you to listen to this real closely. When you come to Christ, there are aspects of your culture and cultural identity that must bow to the truth of God's word. When you come to Christ, there are aspects of your culture and cultural identity that must bow to the truth of God's word. Some aspects of culture and cultural identity and expression are wonderful, and others are not. So what should we do? Throw it all out? No. Keep the good. Discard the bad. Eat the hay. Spit the sticks. Let God shine the light of his love through you and your culture. And so, going back to the question, is your racial identity, that part of your identity, done away with when you come to Christ? No, it's not. You'll even see it in heaven because God views it as beautiful. Now, is it the biggest thing of your life? No. But is it part of your life? Yes. And it's a beautiful part. You should not be ashamed because of the color of your skin because God sees it as beautiful. You should be able to celebrate the beautiful color that you are. Not saying that you're better than someone because of the color of your skin, but enjoying the color of your skin because you know God made you that way. That God loved you so much, he made you whatever color you are. The color of your skin is an expression of God's creative flair, design, and his love for you. It's a good thing about you. It's a wonderful thing about you. And with having common features and coming from a common ancestor, what happens is culture develops. And sometimes that culture is good. And sometimes it's not. Sometimes that culture has scriptural backing or scriptural allowances. And other times 
that part of that culture is developed by the sinfulness of man. So what do you do? You throw out what's developed by the sinfulness of man, and you enjoy what is allowed and celebrated and approved by the scriptures. And so enjoy how God made you. Enjoy the beautiful color of your skin. Don't compare your skin color to anybody else. Enjoy your color, the color that God made you, the beautiful display of his artistry in this earth. One of the ways, yes, we can see about the stars in heaven, the beautiful flowers that are upon the earth, the beautiful colors that are in the world, but also the beautiful color that your skin is. And so when we're talking about building a godly stronghold versus an ungodly stronghold, a godly stronghold is knowing that God made all races. He views all races as beautiful. And whatever race, whatever color you are, God's desire is that you're blessed. Remember, he wants to bless every single person. So he doesn't look down on a color or a race or a group of people because of the ancestor. He made you in his image and gave you a beautiful coat of paint. So enjoy it because God made you that way. So a godly strong coat is knowing that's how God made you and enjoying it and using everything about you to bring glory and honor to God. Whether it's the color of your skin, your national origin, your national identity, whether you come from West Africa, whether you come from Europe, whether you come from South America, or you come from Southern Africa, whether you come from Asia, whether you come from Australia, wherever you come from, wherever your national origin is, wherever your ancestors are from, enjoy your culture, enjoy your background, but use your culture and your background for the glory of God. And how do you do that? When there's some things that you show up in your culture and your background and things you were taught that are against the word of God, you discard those. And all these wonderful things that remain, and there are a lot of wonderful things that remain, you allow the glory of God to shine through it and bring other people to him. Because they'll see, because remember, we are the light of this world. And we're here to bring out, as it says in the message version, the God colors of this world. And one of the ways that God shines through his wonderful goodness through us and the ways he's created us, and it reflects in such a way that it brings somebody to him who may come to him because of how you shine and not because someone else shined. There's nothing wrong with their shine. It was just the shine that came for you brought them in. So remember, as we go through in this series, and we'll get back to it in the future, that your identity, everything about you, and how you identify yourself, you subject it to the word of God. And if the word of God says it remains, you hold on to it and you enjoy it. If the word of God says it has to go, you kick it out the door. And when it comes to racial identity, it's not something that has to be dismissed. Racism and identification is not done away with in Christ. It is something to enjoy and understand. It's a wonderful way God created you. Now, you never use it to oppress somebody else. You never use it to make someone else feel less because you use it that way. It's an ungodly stronghold. You never use it to give yourself confidence in your flesh. Now, some people will take their race and take it and build an ungodly stronghold and say they're better than somebody else because of the color of their skin or because of their ancestor. And they'll use it and hold other people down. That's wrong. That's ungodly. That's sinful. But what do you do? You use what God has created you to do and created you to be, and you use it to help other people and bring them up. 
There's no superior race. When you think of things that way, there's only one race, the human race. There's all different colors and groups and people that have descended from Adam and Noah and his three sons. But you don't use it to hold people down. You use what God has made you to be a blessing, to bring glory to his name and bring others to God. So enjoy your culture. Enjoy your cultural identity. Enjoy your life. Jesus came that you might have and enjoy life. Enjoy how he's made you. And when things pop up in your life that you know that don't line up to the word of God or you're not sure, take it to the book. And if it doesn't agree, throw it out. And line yourself up with the word of God. We're talking about how to build godly strongholds and tear down ungodly strongholds. So a godly stronghold concerning your identity that's allowed to remain is your racial identity because it's not done away with in Christ. All it is is part of your culture and the beautiful color of paint that God made you and wonderful things that come along with it. So enjoy those wonderful things. Don't allow those things cause you to look down on someone or look down on yourself. Both of those are wrong. Both of those are pathways to ungodly strongholds. What are you allowed to do? You realize how God's made you. You thank God for it. You enjoy it and you allow God to shine his light through it. Where you're talking about building identities out of godly strongholds. And there's other identities we have to build and see ourselves through. But we'll get into that as we go forward in this series, in this faith builder series, and we talk about how to take and hold the high ground. And if we want to take and hold the high ground, we must build the high ground or the godly strongholds of our mind. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you. We covered, we covered a number of things today. I presented it, Father, as I knew how to do it. So, Father, I pray that you'll build on it, share more with us concerning it, and help us build the godly strongholds of our mind. And that we, having a healthy stronghold, a godly stronghold concerning race, can be involved in reconciliation and standing against racism and standing against bigotry, but being ministers of reconciliation, bringing healing to this nation and presenting the truth of your word concerning race and racial reconciliation. We can only do with your wisdom and your grace. So we ask for and receive both. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. You see, we have to know things like this so we can make a difference in times like these. In times where tensions are high. In so many different arenas, the political, racial, economic, the church has to present the answer. And the answer is, we are all made in the image of God. The beautiful image of God. Let's enjoy it. Let's not look down on others. Let's understand that we're here to shine his light and bring others to him. Thank <laughs> you.